Hi, everybody. Welcome to episode seven of Let's Talk TEFL. This is Jackie, and joining me is Nicole. Hi, Nicole. Hi. So, Nicole and I kind of have a funny story about how we met. So, um, we ended up playing on the same dodgeball team in Coquitlam, which is just a city outside Vancouver. And um, we added each other on Facebook. And I was like, oh, weird. How does Nicole know? Um, my friends from South Korea and um, we had some, yeah, just these like mutual friends that I was like, there's no way she met these people in Canada. Um, yeah. So we discovered that actually we were teaching in Busan, South Korea at the same time and even had some of the same friends, but um, yeah, we never actually ended up meeting until we arrived in Canada. <laughs> so yeah, Nicole, so kind of, sorry, go ahead. It's kind of amazing how we never even crossed paths like there's not that big of a community in Busan of expats. So it was kind of, yeah, it was kind of weird to come back and be like, how were we in the same place at the same time and didn't even know it? I know it was weird, but we did live in opposite ends of the city. So that maybe explains it a little bit. But I mean, it's weird that we never just randomly, like all the expats would just hang out of the beach all the time and you'd like see your friend yeah. that you knew and just like say hi. And then they'd have friends with them and you'd like get introduced to them. So it, yeah, it was strange. It was strange that we never ended up doing that but anyway we know each other now <laughs> so exactly <laughs> so Nicole how long were you in Korea for I was in Korea for three years three years from 2012 to 2016 with uh like a four-month break at home in between that cool so we've um already talked so much about teaching in Korea um Jennifer mm -hmm. the other co-host and I that was where we had taught for um, about 10 years each. So I think maybe our listeners are getting tired of um, hearing about <laughs> Korea, I think. So let's focus I know, on... my friends are too. Are they too? Yeah, I always start so many yeah. stories well, in Korea and my friends are like, oh, yeah. no more, no more of that. But um, so it. you live in Korea. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, exactly. So let's focus on what you did after Korea. Um, so you came back to Canada, to Vancouver, and then what did you do? Um, after that? Uh, well, as soon as I got back to Vancouver, I needed to find a job and I was looking at teaching opportunities because that's what I've been doing. And it was something that I knew I could just jump into, but in order to teach at any like established or accredited Institute, I had to do my CELTA, which is the Cambridge English for Oh gosh, I don't even know what it stands for anymore, but it's basically from Cambridge, the teaching English to adults. So I did a four week course, like I jumped right into it. I like, it was already late for me to register. So I emailed them like, can I get in this program? I really need to do it. And there wasn't a demand. There was only four of us. So it wasn't that big a deal, but I got in, did the four weeks. And then the school that I actually did it through, they hired me right away to start as like a, a sub further they added me on the sub list and then that summer I started teaching full-time and then basically taught there the whole time since until unfortunately they kind of closed down because of the pandemic uh, oh no oh, yeah I guess yeah. probably so like most of your students were they people who had just immigrated to Canada or were they like traveling to Canada to study English abroad for a year or six months or whatever yeah they were traveling to Canada to study English so anywhere from like two weeks to a year they were here. Uh, there were some immigrants, some people who had intended to go on and study at Canadian universities, um, but mostly just, you know, I'm here for six months. I want to, you know, learn about 
different cultures. I want to meet some new people. And Mm -hmm. so they're coming here. And I think learning English was like the excuse and like the way to get here. Uh, Yeah. So many of my students in Korea, I I taught at universities and they um, would say I'm studying English for a year in the U.S. or Canada. And I would always encourage them, don't hang around with all the other Koreans if you're serious uh-huh. about learning English. Actually, like, but I, I think a lot of them, like most people, just wanted to like have fun and travel and not be at their parents' house. And so they didn't necessarily care that much about the actual English. But yeah, it was an excuse for sure. So oh, one yeah. so um one obvious difference I think can from uh, teaching in Korea compared to teaching in Canada is that in Korea, all the students shared the first language, Korean. Um, but in Canada, you had students from a whole bunch of different countries? or Yeah, that's right. So there was never any monolingual group. And except so, like summer and winter when we did like special camps. But for the most part, it was completely mixed. And so how did that impact your teaching? Or like, or like how did you adapt to that? Or was it easier? I, I'm just curious about, about that situation. I, <laughs> You know, I've thought I get asked this question and I don't think that it's like easier or more difficult. I think I think for my style of teaching in general, it is easier because I they the students can't rely on their native language to um, to figure things out or to ask each other. So they really have to push themselves and it's more communicative that way. So there really is that like focus on like negotiating meaning and really being clear about what you're trying to say and ask. Um, And so then I think the learning just happens so much quicker. Mm -hmm. On the other hand, when they have a group of monolingual speakers, and when I was in Korea, I made an effort to learn a little bit of Korean. So that really did help them where like in that I could, you know, translate here and there and I could offer them some support when I knew I could, but also they could see me learning another language and that you know, beyond the the actual language learning that they felt a little bit more supported and like relaxed in learning. Mm, that makes sense. And do you think students are quite motivated being in Canada studying English because English is just the language spoken in the outside world or did it not really matter that much to students or yeah, like what's kind of the attitude about that? Definitely. It's like in the school I was in, there was definitely the motivation to learn you know, I get a lot of feedback from students like, oh, I want to meet some Canadian people. I want to meet some like locals. And then, you know, of course, in order to do that, you need to be able to speak the language. But also because they couldn't communicate with other students from other countries in the language they knew, they were even then forced to learn English to just communicate with their classmates. And what was so great about the school I was at was there were like the friendships that were made were, happened so quickly. Mm-hmm. Like they would go out and we had this program where they would do activities together and like a social events calendar kind of thing. And there'd always be like Tuesday nights at the bar, like international nights. So then they would all be together, but you know, having to only speak English, just like really push them. Now, of course that's like conversation level in the classroom. It was like, you know, the, the the specifics of grammar were maybe not as uh, important to them, but mm. the communication definitely was. I'm I'm kind of convinced that um, like at the lower levels of learning English or learning any language, communication is where it's at. And if you can get your point across, um, mm-hmm. even if the grammar isn't perfect or maybe you didn't choose the one best vocabulary word, but you chose another 
one that was okay at conveying your meaning, I think that's often often enough. So it's yeah, it's cool to hear that your students um, were doing that with each other and had to. Um, yeah. In Korea, um, <clears throat> sorry, that was one of the things that often I found kind of lacking. Um, I just like the motivation piece. Students yeah. had to learn English to pass proficiency tests for jobs or whatever. But um, yeah, they weren't super motivated to push themselves to really speak yeah. English. Now, I taught in a middle school. So and they were forced. They had to learn English in, in public schools. And there was that idea. It's like it was just a tool. And it was like, we got to get good grades to pass these tests. But I went in there and as like the kind of the guest teacher, I quickly realized like, I'm not, they're not going to, I'm not going to teach them any, like, I just kind of have this, like, they're not being graded on anything I'm teaching them. Like they're not, my classes aren't important. I don't really have any authority in like how to assess or whatever that was on the hands of the teachers that were there. So my, I made it my goal just to go in there and make English as fun as possible so that they enjoyed learning English. Mm. You know, like I did a lot of games. I did a lot of like, uh, like holiday things. I would bring, you know, I would do Halloween decorations and Christmas trees and Canada Day. We would do all sorts of things. And I really just wanted them to like get a sense of like, wow, English learning doesn't have to be, you know, rote practice and writing down and just like all these tests and things like there's a, a greater purpose to learning another language and it doesn't have to be English. Mm. English just is the language. Mm. I worked at this one university and it was a science and engineering school. So the students obviously were good at math and science, but maybe <laughs> less so good at languages. And um, they were required to take a year of freshman English just the government policy requires that. So yeah. my boss, we were like, oh, like the teachers, it was a struggle for sure. But the our boss told us, <clears throat> just make English fun. And like my the goal is that they don't hate it at the end of the year. Yeah. And exactly. so I kind of took that in mind. I was just like, okay, well, yeah, they might learn some things. Obviously, I wanted to help them improve their English skills, but like I just wanted to make it fun. And I just was like, this can be this the class they can come to and just have a moment of like happiness in their week and not yeah. learning about like serious, serious, serious math and science stuff. So yeah, like a brain break, but also in that you're just, it's the confidence piece too, right? Like mm -hmm. if they feel like English isn't this scary thing, then they're going to be way more interested or motivated or just like less hesitant to even try. Mm -hmm. Right. So I, I think that making it fun and just changing the perception of it. Like I, I thought that was really important. And I think I succeeded for the most part. I mean, there's kids that, you know, you're never going to reach every student or you, you, you should try, but you know, if you reach 90% of them, I think you've still succeeded. Oh yeah, for sure. <clears throat> yeah. There's always going to be a few students who just, no matter what are not, for whatever reason, they have their own things going on that are not excited about English. And that's Totally okay. I understand. I get it for sure. Mm -hmm. um, so something I'm curious about, um, I did the CELTA while I was in um, South Korea at the British Council, and it changed my teaching style for sure um, in a lot of ways. So um, yeah, I'm curious, you had taught in Korea, and then you did the CELTA, and then you taught in um, Canada. So did it change your teaching style or have impacts on that? Or what kind of things did you like pick up from that, from that class? Um. 
<laughs> yeah. Sorry, that's a hard honest, question. Maybe I didn't yeah, ask you that before. <laughs> no, that's okay. I'm. That's a really good question, and I went into it being like, "Well, I've already taught for three years. I know what I'm doing." So I was honestly like, my ego was there, and I was prepared to just like whip through it and just get the certificate so I could start teaching, and it really helped my like organization and like lesson planning because lesson planning was not really something I did a lot of because I followed a book in Korea and they wanted me to follow the book. So I really just had to, I didn't have to plan special lessons, but now starting from scratch where like I had to choose a grammar point and I had to develop a lesson around it or whatever it was, it really gave me like an abundance of like resources and different ways to go around it. Um, and assessment as well, just like the ways that we, um, can assess learning and, and things like that. But I mean, as with anything, I think the most learning happened when I started teaching adults here and there was like, I was responsible for their assessment and I was responsible for all aspects of their learning, not just like the 40 minutes a week I saw them in Korea. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. The CELTA really helped me, um, solidify lesson planning, in my mm-hmm. head. Um, yeah, previously I had just kind of followed the textbooks that the university gave to me and um, learning actually how to do it on my own. I discovered that most of the textbooks do follow um, kind of a similar CELTA style. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it was, I had way more confidence to just be able to take like a song or like a short reading passage or something in the news yeah. and like make a whole entire lesson that was like um, educationally sound and not just like random things put together. Totally. And it also like, it just unlocks some like creativity in me as well. And like, you don't have to take everything as it is and how to adapt materials and the different ways you can use one piece of material, right? Just like how, how rich even like just everyday resources are right that realia the like real newspaper articles real songs real headlines or you know marketing slogans things like that like you can find anything and make it into a lesson which was so cool yeah I agree I agree it makes lessons way more interesting I think the 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 same old things are covered in the textbooks like hobbies and sports and weather and I mean I get so tired of teaching that I just I feel like I can't face another unit about the weather and I think the students often feel the same way I mean they've been studying English for like whatever five or ten or fifteen years so they don't feel any different than you do about talking about the weather (laughs) again totally and I mean, and especially because I was teaching adults, they don't want to do what's in the textbook. They want to know what's going on in the world. And, you know, they come here and, you know, we were saying like, for the most part, they're here just to have fun and get life experience, but they still want to know what's going on in like Canadian culture. They want to know what we're talking about. Right. And, Mm -hmm. you know, especially since they use so much pop culture, they're watching so many American programs and North American songs and you know they're hearing all these things they don't even know these references so they want to know that part of it too mm-hmm. like what does this mean why is this so funny <laughs> exactly exactly have you taught them about the Canadian tuxedo <laughs> I just talked that. about that this weekend <laughs> so funny. It, it, it must have come up every now and then but you know just all sorts of things and like Canadian food always comes up and it's like we don't have much food but then there was like teacher I tried poutine this weekend like, what do you think I didn't like it okay. so just for any listeners who don't know what the Canadian tuxedo is mm. it's um 
denim on denim so you wear like but but it has to be different shades so you maybe like for example you wear like blue jeans like light blue jeans and then like a dark jean jacket <laughs> something yes. like that so when so when you see it you'll know it and you'll always think oh that's the Canadian tuxedo I know I catch myself sometimes I'm like you know what no it doesn't work I can't pull it off <laughs> <laughs> so funny I love it. I just taught an American who'd been in her or who like has been in Canada for 22 years. I just taught her what that was this weekend. So she had never heard it before, which I thought was so funny. Okay. So after um, working in that language Institute, um, they kind of cut their classes and stuff. So you transitioned into online teaching. I think you told me. Yeah. So with the school, so as soon as, you know, the pandemic hit, we transitioned with the school to online but, you know, with nobody able to come in, enrollment was dropping significantly and then they had to shut down. Um, now, I was able to kind of pick up a lot of these students that no longer had a school and we did a lot of private lessons. I did a lot over the summer. And right now I'm doing, I went back to school full time. So that wasn't my main source of income anymore. Um, but I have contacts through the school that I met um, in Brazil who have a, an English school there. So they contacted me to take over some lessons. So I've been teaching online, a group of, um, Brazilian young Brazilians, um, like 14 to 22 is the range. Mm -hmm. Um, and we've been doing online lessons once a week. It's only been a few weeks now, but it'll be for about two months. And so how's that going? Was it a tough um, transition or did you like really have to adapt your, your lessons or yeah, how did it go? Yeah, I, it, it's so, it's just an unnatural way to communicate and to learn and to, you know, spend your time so much in front of a screen. Um, I definitely had to adapt. It was a tough transition. It was really hard. And just with everything, it was like, there was so much going on. Um, it was hard for me to like properly adapt things that would translate into like online, you know, I couldn't rely on like, I couldn't rely on just like the natural flow of things because it's mm -hmm. so stilted and so awkward online. Um, but so what ended up happening is I just, I relied a lot more on like worksheets and online resources and just without really putting that effort into adapt them, I just kind of use them as is. So I felt like my teaching suffered a lot just I because I, I almost like couldn't even put that the same amount of effort into it. Mm. Now, uh, with that being said, the students were also just not, you know, they weren't as engaged. They weren't as, this was just in the beginning. I mean, so that was like, my level of effort matched their level of effort. So everyone kind of agreed, like, this is good enough. And we spent a lot of time just like talking, you know, checking in with each other and, you know, and then slowly one by one students would end their course. And then it always end up with like two students. And then we'd watch a lot of like movies and talk about them. So mm -hmm. we found ways to still make it good. Now that we've been doing this for a year, the students just, they're on board my, you know, I have a renewed sense of purpose with it. Um, but still, yeah, relying a lot of just like online things. I think um, it would be tough 
for sure. Yeah. Like my um, my style of teaching is very student-centered. That was one thing I learned during mm-hmm. the CELTA. And so I love things like surveys, like mingling around the class and talking to a bunch of different yes. classmates or like, here's a little board game I put together to review the simple past, play it in a group of four and like things mm-hmm. like that. So I just, yeah, it's like, so even just thinking about how to teach I've taught like one-on-one online before, but how to teach like a group class um, online, uh, I don't know. It's like all my old standbys. I feel like I would just have to kind of throw them out the window a little bit. And um, Yeah, exactly. Because you can't just like often, you know, even when you're like, I'm sure you've had this when you're teaching, you need like just two or three more minutes to like put together something or to like Mm -hmm. get what you want, get the next activity started. So what I always do is like, okay, um, here's a question, talk to your partner about it. And then when you're done, talk to another person. You can't mm-hmm. do that online. You can't, even with like these breakout rooms, which are great, it's still so awkward to just like, okay, go in a breakout room, go in a breakout room. And like, you, you still have to be doing stuff as a teacher. You have to control all that. Mm-hmm. And it just, it doesn't, it doesn't work the same way. So that interaction is totally gone mm-hmm. and it, it really yeah, and I think it is affecting English language learning. They're just, you know, it's a different, they're not getting as much of that communication part. Yeah, it's interesting. Like, I can see if you're, like, in a math or science lecture and someone's just lecturing in a big hall at a university or someone's lecturing online, like, this, it's the same. It's basically, it's the same. But, like, language learning is all about communication, so yeah. doing that online, I think it's just, it's tough. I'm, I can imagine. Um, yeah. yeah. It's just sure not how easy. it's meant. It's not how it's meant to be learned. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right, Nicole. So you've taught in a few different situations in Canada and Korea and then online. So if you have um, maybe someone who's just finishing up university and they're thinking about getting into TEFL or teaching teaching ESL um do you have any like advice you would give them or thoughts about that or yeah so what would you say to them if they asked you um I would say definitely go abroad if you can like obviously this is post-COVID post-pandemic world if you can go anywhere go it like because it if you're trying to teach English you could teach English in Vancouver in Canada of course but I guess, it. sorry, let me backtrack a little. It depends what they want to get out of it, right? If they're really passionate about teaching English and getting in the field, there's a lot of really good schools in Canada that you could do that at. And you could totally, you know, hone your craft and develop and grow and advance in the field within the country that you're in, Mm -hmm. um, especially in an English speaking country. But I just think, you know, if the goal with teaching ESL, as was mine, was to, you know, kind of broaden my worldviews, because the best thing about teaching English here to an international school was meeting all the different people and their cultures. So if that's your goal and to kind of widen it, go abroad. There's so many opportunities. There's just like almost every country has some some kind of English language program or, you know, a need for it. So if you can go, you do get certified, like CELTA is great. Um, If you can get a TEFL or a TESOL, do it. Um, it, Even if it's not your long-term goals, it's just good to have. And it, 
you need to know what you're doing. You don't want to do a disservice to these people that you're going and, you know, just, oh, it's good to travel and, and teach English. I can just do it because anybody can do it. No, not anybody can do it. And don't, don't disrespect your future students by not taking it seriously because to them learning English is serious and it is their way to open the world. We are so mm-hmm. lucky that we get to speak English and we were born into it. So mm-hmm. don't take that for granted. That's some great advice. I love that. Yeah, it actually is a skill. Um, and it's, yeah, yeah I, I taught for a few years and then I got to the point where I was like, oh, I really should take a course just like I mostly did it as a motivation to put on my resume. So to have the experience mm-hmm. plus the education. But after yeah. taking that salt, the salt I was like, oh, I should have done this like five years ago. and <laughs> been a way better teacher totally. for all those I mean, years. That's why I went to Korea. Honestly, I had finished my degree and I was like, I haven't done anything with my life. I need to go and experience the world. And I didn't even like teaching when I first started, but I was like, well, I'm here for a year. I got to take it seriously. And then when I did and I started putting that effort in, you know, connecting with the students, that's when I fell in love with it. Mm. And then then I would like get my mom to send me all my old books that I got from university because I did my degree in linguistics and I did a TESOL mm. through SFU. So she sent me all my like teaching books and I was like highlighting and making notes and I would like really did put that effort in. But, yeah. you know, it took me three months to get there, unfortunately. Yeah, yeah. that's amazing. That's amazing that you... <laughs> You got your mom to send you all your old um, textbooks from your classes. It's time for the teaching tip of the week. This week's tip is a non-musical version of musical chairs. It's called train wreck. To play this game, all of the students should be seated in a circle with one student standing in the middle. So that student should not have an empty chair. That student will say one true thing about themselves. And that could be some sort of description, you know, I have brown eyes, or it could be a fact, like I live with my mom, my dad, and two brothers. For every student in the class that that statement is true, they should all stand up and change chairs, but they cannot move to the chair next to them. So for example, if two students sitting next to each other both stand up, they cannot switch chairs. They have to move at least one chair farther away. So all the students will run around, find a new seat, and the new person who is left standing, because there is one student too many for the number of chairs, that student is now it, and they will stand in the middle, and it's their turn to share a fact. So obviously you can continue to play this on and on until everyone has had a chance or just for a time limit. All right, I hope you give this a try. If you do and it works out well for you, please let us know. Thanks a lot. All right, so I think that's maybe a good place to wrap up. Thanks so much, Nicole. Um, It was really interesting hearing about, um, yeah, teaching in Vancouver and, yeah, teaching online as well. Um, So if anyone wants to check out um, more information or all the other episodes, um, you can go to eslactivity.org slash podcast. And um, yeah, please like us, subscribe, tell your friends, leave a review, and we would definitely appreciate it. And um, yeah, we'll see you in a couple of weeks, everyone. Thanks, Nicole. Thanks, Jackie. Okay. Bye, everybody. Bye.